1: Live from pittsburgh welcome to the On choir podcast i'm jeremy warner and uh myself Joey wagner derek piper made our way all the way from Champaign to pittsburgh today and uh we're ready for the ncaa tournament man we're gonna check out the city tonight we got open practice for illinois on thursday we get to talk with brad underwood and a few of the players and then friday man the ncaa tournament run begins and for illinois fans i know you hope it is a longer run than last year. But you got to take care of business first against Chattanooga and the MOX. And today on the podcast, we talk with Josh Rowe, who covers Chattanooga uh, and the MOX. He's both a news and sports reporter there at the ABC and Fox affiliates in Chattanooga. He breaks down what we know about Chattanooga. So uh, great insight from him. And then we decided to record a podcast while we were on the road. I was driving, no, I didn't lead it, Joey Wagner did. Derek Piper and myself weigh in as well. We did have a, a passenger as well. Uh, Nico Hefflinger from local affiliate in champaign covering Illinois. So uh, we had a lot of fun doing that, give our final thoughts on the way to Pittsburgh. So hope you enjoyed this podcast, getting to know a little bit more about Illinois' first-round opponent and then our final thoughts leading into an NCAA tournament for the Illini. So sit back, relax, enjoy this one, and uh, enjoy the NCAA tournament. We'll see how much Illinois gives you joy along the way. Coming up next, Josh Rowe breaks down the mocks. Happy to get a little scouting report here on the Chattanooga Mocs from Josh Rowe. He's the news and sports anchor at the ABC and Fox affiliates in Champaign. Uh, Josh, welcome and uh, appreciate you joining us. Uh, what's uh, what's the vibe around Chattanooga with the Mocs getting in the NCAA tournament on a historic shot uh, by David Jean Batiste? You froze a little
0: bit there, Jeremy, so I'm sorry for the, uh, the delay. The- the, the city is excited. And I mean, clearly we had watched this team. They've been good since, since, since the start of the season. Um, but they also have gotten better throughout the year and to see them win the tournament, the, the conference tournament, the way they did, it just turned it up about two more notches, you know, at, at least two, if not, not more than that. Um, and they went to Asheville, most of us expected them to go there and play well um, and maybe even win the whole thing as they were the, the, the regular season champ. Obviously, you get the tournament, you know, you, who knows what's going to happen. Um, but to win in the fashion they, that they did, um, clearly, uh, yeah, yeah d- dialed it up a few notches for sure. So, so a, a lot of people in Chattanooga are, are excited to see what happens this weekend.
1: Well, first, uh, let's, let's dive into Lamont Paris a little bit. No name yeah. in the Big 10 Longtime assistant, Wisconsin under Bo Ryan. Um, it's kind of been a steady climb for him, right? How, how has he gotten um, you know, Chattanooga back to this point of being back in the tournament?
0: Yeah, so, so he, that story is interesting, right? So he interviewed, um, as I understand it here, um, when Will Wade left, right? Will Wade left here, went to BCU. And then went on to LSU and just lost that job. Obviously, as, as a lot of us know, um, Henry for the job, then did not get the job. Matt McCall got that job. McCall had a pretty good first year, second year, not as good, but still got a job at UMass in the left. So Paris comes in two years after. And then the way he explained it um, is, is the program was not the same program that it was two years prior when Will Wade left. And so he had some things to fix. Now, on top of that, his um, his AD that hired him two months later leaves the program. And so there's a lot. There were, there were roster issues um, there were some academic issues. And so his first couple of seasons here were really trying to kind of rebuild in some ways and trying to get a footing on on exactly you know, what he had. So. So, yeah, if you look at the this is his fifth year here. His fourth as his best finish before this year was fourth in the conference and you look at that and you say well that's not very impressive but if you look at where the program has come it has been a, a steady climb uh, to to this point um, I think this year was probably better than some expected because there there are some new, new names added to the roster um, uh, Silvio uh, De, De Souza, obviously uh, the biggest of, of those names but but he really built um, this team over the years uh, a little bit at a time and kind of gradually got them better and better and better to this point.
1: Well, they got good guard play, that that's for sure. Yeah. And it starts with a Belleville, Illinois native down by St. Louis. Uh, Malachi Smith played with EJ Liddell, Keith Randolph, who's an Illinois football player. Um, what, what? How has he, since transferring to Wright State, what has made him so good there in the SOCON?
0: Yeah. He's, uh, since showing up here, he has been, he's been very strong. I mean, and the offense runs through him, you know, um, he, uh, man, he, he can, he can do a lot of different things with, with the ball in his hands, you know, um, he's, he's, you know, uh, SOCOM player of the year in the regular season, uh, led the team in scoring the last two, two seasons, uh, can shoot it from outside, can, can put it on the floor. I mean, there's really, I mean, he's, he really is, is is kind of the glue, the whole, the, the whole thing together. Um, but it's not just Malachi Smith, but he is a, he's a, a big part of it. Uh, David Jean-Baptiste, um, who is uh, the, the other guard on this team. This team really is a really nice mix, right, of, of some upperclassmen who have been in the program a long time. Uh, David Jean-Baptiste has been here. He, he was a red shirt in 16. So this is his sixth year in the program, right? When he was when he was a freshman, uh, you know, uh, Paris, um, um, you know, inherited him when he go to the program. He's been in the program that long, um, so so those two guys are, I mean, really good guards, especially for a mid-major type type of team. Really strong guards, big guards. Uh, Baptiste is six one. He's the shortest of the starters, but he's a, he's a thicker, stronger, you know, guard. Um, and then the D'Souza, as, as I mentioned as, as well, you know, th- those three players are really kind of uh, as they go, the team goes. Um, and, so, and so, yeah, it, it, it really does. The whole team has a, a very nice mix of, of uh, you know, some transfers uh, like, uh, like Malachi Smith, like, like DeSouza, um, and, and some guys who, who have been with the program since they were in high school. So, so yeah, it, it really is, is an interesting mix of, of guys and, 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 a, and, a, and kind of the makeup of, of a team that, that you could see, um, you know, that a, a mid-major type team, They might make a run in the tournament, might win a couple of games in the tournament. Yeah, they they really have that makeup.
1: Well, you mentioned, I mean, Kofi Coburn, I don't know how many people can handle him, but they do have Kosa who can compete with him, right? A a former top 40 prospect himself. Uh, Kansas obviously didn't go very well there, but how has he acclimated himself and what has he meant to them? And what does he mean to them going up against Coburn on Friday?
0: Yeah, a lot actually. Yeah, when when uh, I think I think uh, the mocks have won fourteen of seventeen, and uh, two of those three losses to the, the Sozo wasn't in the game, right? They didn't play. He was he had uh, had some had some nicks and, and whatnot, and and so I mean, and that's the truth. So I think they they've lost seven games, and and four of those losses they've not had one of those those three main main players, right? So so if those three guys are on the court and those key three guys are doing what they're supposed to do. The team much better. Um, but, but yeah, the, the Sosa is your guy down low. Um, he is, he's, he's the difference maker in that role. And you mentioned his, his running at Kansas um, and yes, he has some trouble there and that's well-documented uh, several different uh, or a couple of different uh, instances there here. There's been, if he, if, there, if he's done anything that's this wrong, it's not made it to the media, right? We, we don't know about it. So as far as we know and we can tell and what we've seen on the court and these kind of things, He's he's been doing the right things since he got here. Um, the 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 uh, the players that that you know that we've talked to uh, through through the season, um, you know, so, seem to like him as a teammate and, and those, those kind of things. And so, um, yeah, he's he's a big part of this team. He he is a a, a big presence down low, and and he is he is the nice inside-out compliment to those two guards we talked about.
1: Now you got to have role players step up if you want to upset a, a high major team.
0: Sure. So, I know
1: AJ Caldwell, David Banks, like who are some of the role players? What do they do? What do they need to do against Illinois?
0: Yeah. So that's, that's a very good question, right? You got about eight guys on this team who, who are in double digit minutes every night. Right. And, and beyond that, it drops off. And, and so, yeah, the big difference between a Chattanooga and an Illinois or, or or any any of these these teams from major conferences is the number of guys they have on their on their bench and who get real uh, playing time. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Caldwell, uh, Banks is, is another one. Uh, there there's there are also guys who've been in the program for a few years and do play a big role. And and you know like you know you never want to say it's it's about you know. Just three players because it's never about three players, right? If you don't have guys in there that, that are doing the, the the other things and stepping up for every night, it, it doesn't work. So so yeah, all of those th- those guys beyond those three um, play a big a big role and, and can do some nice things and um, you know and crash the boards and, and get and get points. Um, but but really, it's yeah. If if you're looking for okay, what might be the thing uh, that that doesn't let them match up to an Illinois or some other team in there. It, it, it is probably just, you know, the depth down the roster, you know, uh, what does it look like past that, that, that second or third guy on the bench. And then there, there are guys who get, you know, average, you know, six minutes a night, those kind of things, you know, um, but, but it really, you know, that's, that's probably the difference there as far as, as, as you're looking at roster to roster for, for sure.
1: Josh, how do they want to play? Like how, how what's their style of play when things are going well?
0: Uh, so so. Like I said, they're a big team, right? Um, David Jean Baptiste is six one. Everybody, all the other starters are six four t- or taller. Um, they're they're long. They're physical. Um, the uh, physical guard play. I mean, I think is a big uh, trademark of this of, of this team. They're going to push you around a little bit. Um, they're they're not going to really back down from people. That's not their style. Um, they, if you watch any of their games in the in the SoCon tournament. Um, that's how they – I mean, they, the first couple of games they played uh, were not very close, to be honest with you, um, because they get out and they get physical with you. And so that, that – you're going to see that a, a lot. Um, and you're probably going to see that um, come uh, a Friday as, as, as well. Um, if you watch that championship game against Furman, they uh, didn't shoot the ball well at all in that first half. And and I think Baptiste, uh, David Jean Baptiste was three of 10, I think, from three, five was 14, something like that from the field. Um, that's how that game got to be an overtime game, got to be a buzzer beater game, because what you did in the first half, when when credit to Furman. Right. Uh, Furman showed up, played him hard. Right. And, and but also the shots also were not falling. And, and that's the theme about, about, you, about, about this team. You know, if, if they're if Malachi Smith and David Jean-Baptiste are not hitting the shots, um, that's, that's a problem for this team. So, so you're going to see them um, try to be big and physical and try to try to push you around a little bit. And you're going to see them, you know, uh, run their offense through Malachi Smith and, and try to shoot the ball outside. Um, that's one of the things that they do well, both those guys. And they'll, and they'll, they'll dribble drive on you and they'll get inside to, to, to Sosa as well. But, but really, if, if they're not hitting their outside shots, they're not the same team. They're just not.
1: Well, Seth Davis is very confident in this Chattanooga team. And I'm sure, man, that had to be thrilling to hear if you're, if you're a Mox fan. Uh, they yeah. Illinois, probably didn't take so well to it. Right. But why is this? Um, why could this be a team that that is the upset pick or or could, you know, upset a, a team that some people at times have thought could be elite, but just hasn't been quite as consistent as, as those good teams so why should illinois be nervous about chattanooga
0: yeah well it's a good question i don't know why they should be nervous necessarily other than the things we, we've always talked about when you hear like a national commentator make that you almost like you know get excited but you're also like oh do, do, <laughs> do you want that you know do you want that kind of pressure that, want to sneak that, up that on
1: that, people right
0: <laughs> yeah right and so um yeah you don't want, you don't want people to, to see you coming now everybody knows you know that there's at least some people in, in, in the country who think this team is, is supposed to be pretty good. And, and, uh, and they are pretty good, but they are. And um, so, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's, that's a, that's a good question. This team we, we mentioned, right. Fifth year for Lamont Paris um, here. Um, and you look at this past teams and think, okay, last year was our best year up, in, up until this point uh, since he's been the head coach and they were a fourth place team. And then, okay. Now all of a sudden, they're, their, their uh, first place team, win their regular season, win, win the tournament. Um, this team, from the jump, from the first game of the season, first game uh, went to L.A., to LM, LMU, and got a win on the road on the on the West Coast, right? Not a great team necessarily at, uh, in, in LMU that this year, but just for a team that's really not had a ton of success the last few years and all out of the gate, you get a, you get a road win first game, okay? But they won their first five. They beat VCU at VCU on a buzzer beater from Malachi Smith. Um, so they, there's really not been a big fall off. Like I said, uh, seven losses on, on, on the season. And um, some of those, uh, like I said, I think four of the seven, they didn't have one of their, their big three in, in, in the game. I believe that's the, that, that's the, the right, uh, um, you know, uh, number there. So why they could win? because they've been a good team from start to finish. They're not a team that just got hot down the stretch and, and they're playing great. They are playing great. They, they've won uh, 14 out of 17. Um, they, they, they're, they're big and physical, um, that they do all those things. Um, so that that's a, a big part of it. It's just that this team has just been good all, all season long and, and has, and this team has put things together and in, in the, at the right time, um, as, as well. So, so it, it's, it's a mix, um, really of, of all that and, uh, you know, I, I think people here have, have there's a history with the Chadwick Mocks, right? I think, I think, uh, 97 was the last time UTC went to the Sweet 16. They beat Illinois to, to do that. People talk about that team here in this town, you know, every year, right? That's that's the benchmark this team is compared to. They haven't been to the tournament since 16. Um, haven't been to the tournament since Lamont Paris has been here, and so I think there's there's a little bit of a hunger in that too. Okay, you know we know what our history is. We've been there before. We've 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 been to the tournament and had a run. You know, um, you know, although although it was you know '97, a long time ago, but still, I think there is there's a little bit of of this team does this this program does have some history and and a desire to to uh, you know get back to that level again and and do some of those things again.
1: Josh, I know you're in the middle of SEC territory, Tennessee, yeah. Georgia, and Carolinas, all that. Um, but wh- what is the support for a school like Chattanooga? What's the fan base like there?
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? Because in this town, you definitely have a, a very good split of Vols and Bulldogs and Alabama um, support. And it's different in basketball season, to be honest with you, right? Um, because in football season, it's almost like, like maybe half Tennessee and half Georgia with a little bit of Alabama in there because Alabama's Alabama. Right. And, and, uh, but, but they're in basketball season. It's a lot more Tennessee balls, uh, talk than anything else. And maybe that's just because Georgia has just been down the last few years, obviously. Um, but here in the city it, itself, um, that's where your mox fans are. And I'll be honest with you. You, I wish that, that, that more people were there in the stands in December then then you know as now like like when when you win the tournament like you've won it and and you and you're like oh my gosh this team is good and there's a lot of people like, oh yeah now i believe in that I, you wish that the, that the place is packed from december on and it's not that way but this but this this town does support this team and has really gotten behind it And i think they'll travel pretty well um i, I really do I, I you know uh lamont paris um mentioned the other day you know he's he's from ohio and he's got big ten ties and and so he'll have some people there as well. And and, and uh, they, they leave tomorrow. And I think there's a big contention who will be there when they leave. And I think a lot of folks are going to make the trip up to Pittsburgh and 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 hopefully uh, stay there for a couple of days. You know, who knows?
1: Yeah. Well, when even national voices are saying, hey, this is one to watch. I, I think that's yeah. to the Chattanooga. Yeah. Well, Josh Rowe, News and Sports anchor, ABC and Fox affiliate in Chattanooga. Thanks for getting us up to speed on the Mocs, man.
2: Oh, no problem, thanks for having me, good to see you man Welcome into the Illini Inquirer podcast I am not Jeremy Werner He's driving us to Pittsburgh right now For the first round of the NCAA tournament But we do have Jeremy, Derek, Joey Wagner here Road trip boys, on the way to cover all of our first NCAA tournament game Yeah, you, you gotta mention the passenger along with us We, we, we did bring that. Nico from the Fox station He's uh, he's around I guess <laughs> Excited to be tagging along <laughs> Illinois Chattanooga on Friday, 5.50 p.m. Central Time. Guys, this is – Seth Davis wasted no time calling this a trendy upset pick. Piper, what you, you've watched a lot of Chattanooga. Where do you land?
3: Yeah, I think Illinois should get the job done. And I think that in terms of any kind of concern about Illinois overlooking this game or not having motivation, uh, not that uh, I would question that in general knowing a team that's really pinpointed this opportunity – throughout the off season, through this season, to get back to the NCAA tournament and to have a satisfying run. So, uh, But for them to all be sitting there at State Farm Center and have Seth Davis immediately say Chattano- Chattanooga Mocs, the Sweet 16, had to get their attention, had to add one of those slights that Illinois certainly likes to have uh, working against them to really fuel that fire and motivate them. So uh, curious to see tomorrow. Whether or not Jacob Grandison is going through shoot-around, I think that status is certainly important. Not that I don't think Illinois couldn't beat Chattanooga without him. It's really just going to be about slowing down Malachi Smith, who's a really big, physical, athletic guard who can get downhill and score. And Belleville West product that uh, I'm intrigued by that matchup and how Illinois guards him. Are they going to go with Trent Fraser, who's going to have the quickness to stay on him, maybe cut off those driving lanes? Or are they going to try someone like Demonte Williams? Has a little bit more size, a little bit more length and maybe doesn't get knocked off the spot when Malachi goes to the basket. Uh, they could maybe mix and match there, but if they if they contain him, I just don't think Chattanooga ultimately has enough firepower to keep up with Illinois, and uh, while Silvio De Sosa is a physical big man inside, he's giving up some inches. I think you've got to be able to double him if you're Chattanooga, and that's going to leave some shooters open.
2: Yeah, and I think if you're Brad Underwood, you probably have a beer waiting for Jay Billis somewhere for firing up the big man. Look, I mean, Silvio's a good player, but Kofi's an All-American for a reason. I mean, this is advantage Illinois, but it's maybe not the advantage you would think for going up against a mid-major big man. I mean, he played at Kansas. His, His numbers don't wow you, but he's had a couple nice games. He's physical enough to do damage, but Jeremy, Kofi's Kofi, and Kofi, I mean, this is a really big legacy opportunity for Kofi, and it's just a chance for him to impose who he is in the biggest tournament of the year, and probably with the pressure, probably the biggest tournament he's faced since being at Illinois.
1: Yeah, listen, Sylvia De Souza, Sosa, I should say, gives them uh, a piece that can compete, can, can push uh, with Kofi. But uh, Kofi Coburn is a first team consensus All-American. He will be here in just a few days. So uh, this is a huge game for him. But I, I watched that atrocious Indiana-Wyoming game yesterday, Joey. And I go, that's a blueprint for Illinois. Indiana was awful shooting the ball. But you know what they were? They were the tougher team. They were tougher, more physical, defensively. They really made Wyoming feel them, and it made a less talented Wyoming team um, kind of panic a little bit. They just made bad decisions with the ball, and uh, Indiana didn't shoot well, so it kept Wyoming in the game. But I said a couple weeks ago that this is a tough-ass Illinois team, and I, I believe that. I think they've shown a lot of resolve. I do think they have some physical toughness. But they have to be that. The only concern I have about Illinois is is playing tight, given all the pressure, given uh, all the things that have happened over the last three years to not get them uh, to a Sweet 16, that they're going to play with so much pressure in this environment, they can't do that because Chattanooga should be able to play free. they got nothing to lose. So Illinois just has to m- impose their will defensively be the tougher team and if they're that no matter what happens whether their shots fall or not I think they should win uh, if they play tentative, if they play tight I think that's where this can become a game and all of a sudden late in the game you're not that confident and it can become an issue but I think Kofi Coburn, I think Illinois' defense uh, gives them a great chance to, to take care of business and then go on to a tougher matchup against Houston where we're actually breaking down the X's and O's. Illinois is the more talented team here. Uh, If if they come out, play tough, really focus on defense, no matter if Alfonso Plummer makes five threes or or one, uh, I think they should be able to win this game. But given that this team has only played two NCAA tournament games, um, that that can still be a concern. But if Trent Frazier, uh, Andre Curbelo, Alfonso Plummer come out confident, Uh, I feel like Illinois should win this game. Because up front, Kofi Coburn and Coleman Hawkins, I think, have a huge advantage.
2: Yeah, I want to get into, I know, Derek, you touched on Jacob Grandison earlier, but I want to talk about the pressure here. Because in a way, this feels like a lot more pressure than this team faces and number one seed last year. And remember, I mean, for everything Seth Davis said about Chattanooga, last year that was Illinois, and it wasn't one person. It was almost everybody with a basketball opinion. And, I mean, Illinois was the team that they planned on going to the final four, and but it just feels like the pressure this year is a different type of pressure for a team that's really, you know, Sweet 16 would be seen as like a, hey, pretty that's a pretty good run for this team, even though it won the big, a share of the Big Ten, this number four seed. What's the difference here, Derek? Why is the pressure different now than it was a year ago? Or at least it feels that way.
3: I think you just have the fear planted in your head, and I know that it's definitely there for the fan base of unrealized potential and really going into last year's tournament, I don't think anybody necessarily had any feelings or thoughts. It wasn't even the, within probably the realm of possibility that the t- that team was going to get upset early. I know that's always something that can happen in an NCAA tournament where it's, it's unpredictable. It's called March Madness for a reason, but Illinois was playing as well, if not better than anyone in the country at that point in time. And it was just how far are they ultimately going to go? It's like, okay, if we get to the sweet 16, can we beat Kate Cunningham? I mean, and if you get past that, can they get to the final four and, and that whole kind of deal. So, but I think it led to Illinois being a little too casual, having an emotional letdown, not having the urgency, not really fully grasping, hey, if we don't bring it each and every game, then we're, we're going to get bounced. And then they got out coached and they didn't make shots and you just had it all compound, and you got beat. So. Uh, making sure that doesn't happen again when you know for sure this is the last time that Trent Frazier, Devontae Williams are going to put on the jersey. I mean, we had Illinois' whole starting five out there on senior night, and Kofi could still come back. Grandison could. Uh, Plummer's obviously gone as well, so there's it's, it's clear cut on some of these guys that aren't going to be in Illinois uniform anymore, and there's some other decisions to make, so that's where you're really feeling a little bit of that pressure, but I think that on the flip side, it is good that you have some naysayers and you have some motivation where everyone was just hyping you up and telling you how great you were last year. Now you have some people picking you get upset, having some people wondering about uh, Illinois being able to get it done. So uh, I think that might help Illinois, and, and I think they have responded over the past few years better in that circumstance. But uh, there is no doubt, and we've talked about it in the lead-up in, in our last podcast after Selection Sunday, was I don't think this team really – takes a breath until if and until they get out of the first weekend just because of the expectation and knowing that if they don't this will be looked at even with the Big Ten title as a as a disappointment
2: yeah Jeremy I know you and I have, have talked about this I think the there's a sense of the end of an era which maybe adds to that pressure it's not the end of Illinois basketball's run I think all of us agree that like that's that's going to be fine moving forward, but the end of the Trent era, the end of the DeMonte era, the looming fear of the end of the Kofi Coburn, Jacob Grandison, Alfonso Plummer was a one-year guy. I think that in itself is scary because it's it's hard to look at the roster, the team's success and and think, oh, this is going to end in no second weekend of the tournament. And that week, between weekends, like it seems not a lot, but I mean you're getting talked about a lot. The, the, the buzz is back. I just feel like that overwhelming the, the feeling that the end of this era is right around the corner has some people a little more tense and, and kind of on edge. Yeah, and I,
1: I sometimes I wonder if, if maybe we talk about this too much. I think the fans are certainly feeling this, but I also, I also think, as Derek's saying, the flip side of it is I feel like Illinois' disappointment last year, while you can say that this team could be tight, you could also say they could be very locked in. Like, they could be very locked into knowing exactly what's in front of them that they can't take chattanooga for granted that they can't take a if you play uab the second round you can't take for granted that you're going to play arizona next week you got to win the game in front of you and then nothing is guaranteed i think that experience has to has to be there and the other thing i think we got to remember and uh this probably due to the indiana loss giving you a sense of disappointment to end the year like if they would have beaten indiana and lost to iowa in a really good matchup I don't think a lot of fans are feeling as you know doubt full of doubts heading into this thing because they played really good basketball for the most part down the stretch. They had a tough schedule. I think they won six of their last ten, which isn't a bunch, but think of the pressure they faced going to Michigan, going to Michigan State, beating Iowa at home to win the regular season championship. Like they showed a lot of uh, you know calm under pressure. Michigan being able to close out that game, Michigan State being able to close out that game. So I I don't want to just focus like all of a sudden they lose to an Indiana team that's playing pretty well right now, right? And and you just miss shots that normally you make, miss free throws you normally make. Like I, I feel like we'd feel a lot better about this team. I still think it's a very good team. I think they should take care of business against chattanooga so uh, i get the angst leading up to it i think any four five six seed is going to have angst going in any kind of matchup here against 11 12 or 13 but i I think you should feel confident in this illinois team given what they have done this year And, and whenever kofi coburn's on the court they haven't lost a game they that really have no business losing. Like, yes, you can lose to Indiana. Yes, you can lose to a similar uh, NCAA-caliber team in the, in the Big Ten, but uh, they haven't really lost outside of the Cincinnati game, which was his first game back and an outlier of the entire season. Um, so I, I still feel like, you know, they are locked in. Like, I feel like Trent Frazier has been locked in. We'll see if uh, how they come out. I think if they try to impose their will defensively early in the game, I think
2: that will be a really good sight to see. Yeah, I think some of that angst from the Indiana loss comes from it. It just kind of put all the fears that you had about this team all year, it put them in the the postseason setting, right? And it it ended earlier than I think a lot of us thought it was going to end. But what we've seen over the last month, I know we've talked about this a lot, is two guys who we've always said, hey, if they get going, the ceiling gets a lot higher for this team, and it's Andre Corbello and it's Coleman Hawkins, and I understand Andre Corbello is the for whatever reason, I, I don't entirely agree with all the polarization of Andre Curbelo, but I understand he's a polarizing player. But him and Coleman Hawkins, Derek, have really given this team a huge boost down the stretch. You can look at the Iowa game. Coleman Hawkins was awesome on Keegan I Murray. Mean, just awesome. Andre Curbelo was really, really good that game. He's going to do things that you think, what in the world? But for the most part, he's really, really good. Those two... Then you start putting those around Kofi Coburn, around Al- Alfonso Plummer, Trent Frazier, Demonte Williams, Jacob Grandison. And now you've got a pretty experienced-ish, I guess, with, with some of the two sophomores and a deeper rotation that's going to matter here. And, and guard play matters in March. And Andre Corbello is a pretty good one.
3: Yeah, as Mike Latula really broke down well on the film session, if you haven't checked that out, you got to definitely do that. I thought he just made a lot of really, really good decisions with the ball. That was certainly very encouraging. Coming off an Iowa game where there were some highs and lows in in terms of he was taking some chances that he probably shouldn't have and to only have one turnover in 24 minutes. I thought that uh, his, again, we we talk about that transition pass, which was beautiful. Uh, There were some good feeds to Kofi. There were some kickouts to shooters that they didn't even knock down. Uh, I thought he just played with a a good way about him uh, and didn't try to, it was a little bit dialed down in terms of the let me just go get mine, especially on those tough pull-up jump shots. But uh, him getting to the rim, you're going to live with those shots a lot of times. Uh, sometimes he has a knack for maybe trying a little bit too fancy of a finish. Maybe they're talking to him about trying to just make a simple layup a little bit uh, in terms of increasing that finish rate. I think he's going to make free throws at a higher rate more most likely than he did against Indiana, but uh, that was encouraging. He's playing with a lot of energy at the defensive end. That includes the defensive glass. Uh, that is certainly important. Uh, he is going to he is gonna gamble at times, and, and uh, look, some of that aggressiveness is, is good and trying to provide the help defense, trying to cheat into the lane. You just got to make sure that he's not pushing the envelope a little bit too much and recognizing the scouting report, hey, if you're guarding a guy that can really shoot it, you got to understand if you leave him, Uh, That that could give up open looks, but I just think that the progression is certainly there, uh, and it's starting to you hope build even further as you move into the NCAA tournament. And speaking of progression, Coleman Hawkins just continues to build on what he's been doing. Uh, This defensive performance against Keegan Murray certainly stands out. Uh, The fact that he shows up in a Big Ten tournament game, I know that this environment will be amplified even a little bit more but I wondered about Coleman going into postseason play would he show any more signs of or show any signs of maybe like anxiety or, or just being in a different uh, situation but goes out there and scores 18 points it hits 4-3 so um, those two guys providing help around your core is, is very very encouraging
1: yeah Joey I think they just give you two different options. Like I got. I think I've made over clear over the last couple podcasts how I feel about Andre Carbone and what he's given the team, and Coleman Hawkins too. Like those guys can be a little bit of wild cards. Like Coleman can have turnovers and shot attempts that make you shake your head as well. But I think the positives of both those guys outweigh the negatives. And what are two things you struggled with once? Uh, the shooting kind of came down a little bit, right? That inside-out was working for a really good stretch, and then all of a sudden, the shooting clip came down a little bit, and you needed somebody who could break down uh, somebody in the half court. Andre Curbel gives you that. You needed somebody that when Alfonso Plummer is not interested in defending, you need somebody to come in there and defend, and and Andre Curbel does that. And we've talked for years about Illinois' weakness at the four. Well, Coleman Hawkins gives you somebody not only that can compete, Uh, against some of the best fours in the country he can really bother them like EJ O'Dell scored on him and and that's going to happen but he made A.J. work for it and then what he did to Keegan Murray was was pretty kind of legendary in that game Uh, you don't win a Big Ten title without him doing that you don't win a Big Ten title without Andre Curbel making plays down the stretch as well against Iowa so they just make this team much uh, more versatile in the way they play offense, the way they play defense. They're not just relying on Kofi in the three, and uh, that if somebody else struggles, if if DeMonte doesn't give you much, if Grandison doesn't give you much, well, Coleman Hawkins, uh, can be there. If, if Plummer or Frazier struggle, you can turn to Curbelo and ride him for 25 minutes if he's having a good game. So I think that increases your depth far more and it just makes you tougher to scout for. So I think both those guys um, definitely raise the ceiling of this team, but they also raise the floor just because you can do different things against uh, teams. Now, you do wonder in this kind of environment where they haven't played much, how do they respond to it? These guys can be negatives in certain games, uh, but I, I'd rather uh, rather have those pieces emerging than,
2: than not. Yeah, I know a lot's made of Andre Corbello's turnovers, but since he came back from that, from you know, he came back for a second, then he had the, the COVID deal and he was out for two games, he's averaging 2.4 turnovers a game. I know not the minutes haven't always been there, but for a guy with as much high usage as he is, that's really not the end of the world. I mean, 2, 2.4 turnovers, you... That's fine because he's going to make three or four plays that are going to probably wash those out a little bit. And, you've got, I mean, it's just the thing with him. You've got to to get, I think, to get the greatness that he has, you've got to let him take those chances and let him kind of push the envelope a little bit. And it seems like Brad Underwood's more apt to do that now than maybe he was as Curbello was immediately coming back.
1: Yeah, the one thing I want to add before you turn to Derek is there's a, been a problem lately of, of Trent Frazier – then we saw it again with Alfonso Plummer against Indiana. we seen it with DeMonte Williams all year. A lack of aggression, lack of confidence at times. Uh, Coleman and, and Andre are certainly aggressive. Sometimes that can get the best of them. they got to pick and choose their spots. But I do like that those guys are, are confident right now going to the NCAA tournament that Coleman wasn't afraid to shoot against Indiana. He wasn't afraid to shoot against Iowa. And Andre certainly isn't afraid to attack the rim as they need. So I like that those guys bring a little aggression to your offense as well.
3: Yeah, I certainly agree with that. I know to the point about turnovers, there was a point at some point, I know that the sample sizes are different, but that Kerbelo's turnover rate was higher than last year and higher than last year was the, the very worst in the Big Ten. Uh, now it's a little bit of a tick lower. Uh, but, again, I, to the note about the Indiana game and, and trying to build off of that, uh, and to your point about living with some of it, I think you can as long as – there is kind of some kind of control yeah. because there's a there are times where those mistakes start to compound a little bit and he'll turn it over and then he's going to foul or uh, he's going to start to feel a little bit of pressure to try to make something happen he's going to take a bad shot uh, if he is going to try a couple aggressive plays but for the most part you're going to be able to trust him defensively and to make good decisions within reason offensively you can live with a mistake or two and Jeremy makes a good point about aggression i love the pace that they play with when he's out on the court, and, and uh, there's more to build on with that. So uh, I think that that's those are things that you can certainly handle with Curbelo. It's just when he flies off the handle and starts to be a little bit of a loose cannon, that's when it's the trade-off isn't exactly worth it.
1: Yeah, I wrote Joey about these guys being X factors, and I think that's what they are—they're X factors as role players, and I think those guys need to continue to kind of play their role within the team, which I think they've done pretty well. But you know, at times they can help you take over a game, so it's great that they have that. Let's be honest—you need your best players to to play well to to advance in the NCAA tournament. So Kofi Coburn needs to be a first-team All-American. Trent Frazier needs to be a double digit score. Alfonso Plummer needs to make some threes. So I'm not trying to put too much pressure on, on Coleman and Andre. I just think they help you raise your floor, raise your ceiling, and it's great to see them playing well, but you need your three stars. And I would say those guys are your three stars to, to step up and if, if Jacob Grandison's healthy healthy it certainly helps you too.
2: Yeah I want to talk about Jacob Grandison. We are on our way to Pittsburgh so we'll see some practice tomorrow. It's an open practice that'll help us get a gauge A little bit on, hopefully, a little bit on where he's at and and what that could look like on Friday and potentially beyond. But he has not. We haven't seen him in a sling since the Iowa game. I I think that's a good sign. Friday would be 15 days since his last game when he was hurt against Penn State. You know, Brad Underwood said it was a sprain. We don't, we really don't know beyond that. I don't expect to know the exact nature of it unless Jake wants to share that. But his return or potential return. I mean, that, that carries a lot. I think we've seen the value of Jacob Grandison. We, we saw it before, but when you, he's gone, you just kind of notice that. Another guy to, to stretch around Kofi, he's a really good entry passer. He's really he's smart with the ball. And, and then I think it unlocks different lineup combinations, and we can get into that, Derek. But I, if he can come back, and I think if you can get him back against Chattanooga and you're not throwing him out there against Houston, which is really highly regarded in every metric that's out there, I, and not to say Chattanooga is a warm-up game, but I think you want to get him some minutes under his belt for the first time in 15 days before you, you know, a second round of, of the tournament and the Sweet 16s on the line.
3: Yeah, I agree with all that. I think that if he can get some minutes under his belt and start to get back into a rhythm a little bit, and again, this could be a very competitive game that goes down to the wire. And there's no guarantee that old, Illinois ultimately wins against Chattanooga, but I think that if they play anywhere close to as well as they potentially can, they should win the game. And uh, if you're gonna gear up for a Houston battle, whoever it might be in the second round, it'd be great to have Grannison having logged some minutes before that. Uh, You said everything there about his impact, I think his entry passes to Kofi, his shot making, uh, he can show energy on the glass and be able to get timely rebounds. He's also, and we've talked about Illinois feeling some pressure, they call him California cool for a reason. That could be a really calming influence that this team could potentially need uh, in this type of a situation. So uh, an older guy who's played in the tournament now, has a lot of trust from the coaching staff, uh, and while it's easy to fall in love, I know the, fa- the fan base has, in R.J. Melendez, uh, and also they, they like to see Luke Goody. These are freshmen and guys that haven't played in the NCAA tournament, and Melendez wasn't very good. It's same with Goody in his showing against Indiana in the Big Ten tournament. Having another one of your vets and, and key role players available is certainly important. Yeah, Derek
1: made the point of entry passes. I think about two of the big turnovers down the stretch. Uh, one was Coleman Hawkins trying to get an entry pass to Kofi Kober, and The other was Andre Carbello. Um And I think maybe if, you know, Grantis the guy at the top of the key getting that, um, maybe... Kofi gets the ball. Kofi's been clutch, man. I mean, he's been making free throws. I think he's locked in. I think he's going to be really, really good, which, again, I think it really is, is, is tough for Chattanooga. Uh, but, yeah, and then just a guy to confidently shoot threes. Um, Plummer was passing up threes. Demonte Williams was passing up threes. Uh, you want a guy that in that corner, especially that left corner, he seems so good at it, um, just ready to shoot and, and confident to shoot, even if he misses his first four, Jacob Granson's not going to be afraid to do that because he's so even keel, man. And I think that's so good to have on a team uh, that if you get down early, I think Jacob is going to be a steady hand um, that uh, you can rely on. So I think getting him back would be huge for Illinois.
2: Yeah, and I think that coolness trickles down. I mean, you've heard Kofi. Kofi said, you know, he he's the calmest guy I've ever met. And it's hard for me to think that that doesn't, trickle down when they're in those little two second huddles when, when things are starting to maybe feel or look like they're they're starting to get off the rails a little bit I just think he brings that and and I could be off base a little bit but we have, one of my favorite lineups we saw down the stretch was Coleman Hawkins as that fire and that five out just blitz you offense and, and I think Jake helps unlock that a little bit and and gives you another guy to put out there and now you're you got a lot of shooters on the floor, and that, that's a lineup I would like to see back because I, I think Illinois had some uh, impact with it in spurts, and, and I, I think it's a curveball. And I think in the tournament, if you have a couple curveballs in your pocket, and I, I know Brad has kind of alluded to that, they weren't fastball heavy last year a lot. Having a curveball when, when the team has scouted you really, really well, that helps. And I, I think that lineup and potentially Jake's return, if that is the case, could help that.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point and something that I would like to see. I think it's a better option than, in most cases, playing Omar Payne at the five. And I think that we're coming off a game in which DeMonte Williams played 16, 17 minutes and didn't take a shot. So uh, in terms of having another shot maker, if DeMonte's gun shy or he's not making threes, and again, like RJ and Luke, are counting on those guys? Branson's another guy that you're going to trust to be confident, trust to shoot a high percentage, especially when he's open, especially from the corner. And I think that you're correct in that having Granison involved with, with Coleman is uh, providing a, a, a real spread-it-out attack uh, and then just adding another shooter out there. And that's certainly uh, what you need there because then if you are playing DeMonte, maybe you, you, you're not having the ideal floor spacing because he isn't that confident shooter or maybe the most efficient shooter here of late.
1: Against Chattanooga, that could be really good because DeSosa does not move his feet well. I think Coleman can really attack him off the dribble if that's how they played. Or he could be late on closeouts, and Coleman could have uh, an easy shot or maybe you post up somebody uh, against a smaller guard uh, that you can get something going there. So I, I think that, that that could work. Uh, or if they play their smaller backup big, Coleman Hawkins certainly could could have uh, a huge advantage with him in the post as well. So yeah, I agree. I think it's a, a better option at this point than Omar Payne. I think you're going to need Omar at some point. Uh, if you if you move on past Chattanooga for a couple good minutes just to spell Kofi and defend some of these Houston bigs or, or Coloco, whoever it is down the stretch, but I do think Coleman as a five, especially against Chattanooga, could be effective in a couple of minutes.
2: Yeah, and I think we also need to ask, while we're when we talk to Brad Underwood tomorrow, where Benjamin Bossman's Verdonk's true availability is. We haven't seen him since he got, I don't even remember which game it was, but he took that, uh, Michigan State. It, was, it was Michigan State, he took that shot to the... Look like the eye. I mean, that thing looked rough. and We haven't seen him. He came out in the cool-looking goggles uh, in the Big Ten tournament. But I think he's a guy with his – we've seen him go up against some good bigs and really hold his own and buy. When Kofi's out, the goal to me is, unless you're going the curveball Coleman, just buy as many minutes as you can without this thing kind of falling apart a little bit. And I, I really like what Benjamin, in a, in a lot of matchups, not every matchup, has given them to that point, Jeremy.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, Benjamin Bosman's is his return, could be, could be important.
2: Like if, if Kofi
1: gets in foul trouble, who can you rely on for 10 minutes? And you, you're not very good offensively, usually, when, when he's in the game. But I think Coleman's emergence with those two could be a good passing duo. You can have four out, Benjamin in. And Benjamin just gives such a good effort on the glass, can draw some fouls, good passer. He just doesn't try to do too much. And he's a far better defender outside of block shots than... Than Omar Payne. So, uh, Kofi getting in foul trouble is the worst possible scenario for Illinois at any point in the NCAA tournament. I think Kofi's going to know that um, and, and try not to get frustrated if he gets an early one. But I think Benjamin Bossman's Verdonk, his return, could be very important just because you can go to Coleman if you want. You can go to Omar if, you, if that's how you're feeling. But also, I just feel like Benjamin Bossman's Verdonk is, is a little bit trustworthy, but you got to have everyone else obviously step up offensively if he's on the court.
2: Yeah, for a little used role player, he's done a pretty good job of finding trust with the coaching staff and and going out there. And you're right, offensively there's not a lot there right when he's on the floor, but he, he really does work incredibly hard on the glass defensively. Derek, Jeremy, and I are new to this, but you were at the Big Ten tournament last or the NCAA tournament last year, and it was a scaled down version of the tournament. But we've heard Brad Underwood, we've heard Kofi Coburn, Trent Frazier talk about just knowing the feeling of what it's like to have this whole thing end but I I just wonder if there's if it might feel a little more real this year when you walk in and the place is full and you're not in some half full venue in Indianapolis, you're on the road in Pittsburgh I, I'm just curious if you think that If it'll feel different than it did last year, you have the experience of being there. We obviously haven't been to Pittsburgh yet. We don't know what the atmosphere is going to be like. But just to have that normalcy, is what can carry over from last season outside of understanding the abruptness of how it ends?
3: I think you'll know, guys that were on the court last year, when you see the March Madness logo plastered there at center court and you know that it's on, you know that your season's on the line. And that I don't know that they – Did they take it for granted last year? Maybe they didn't know the significance of it truly because whether they were riding such a high and felt invincibility after uh, playing at such a high level or they just hadn't been to the tournament and didn't really fully recognize, like you're saying, the abruptness of that end. I think also there is a a different switch to flip going to a new venue, going to a new place, having a full-capacity crowd versus let's just stay in Indy and come off that high from the Big Ten tournament and just go to a different gym in Indy, not even a gym that's, that's smaller. You go to the Coliseum at first after playing in Lucas Oil and it's just like, okay, this is a little bit dialed down, but we're playing Drexel. And there are a couple of fans here and it's a tournament, but uh, yeah, I think going to Pittsburgh and knowing that we're gonna have eight different fan bases out here, it's just gonna, it's gonna be more of a of a tournament vibe and uh, I think that just kind of the experience, like you were saying, of last year can help them just understand what this means and to maybe dial down some of the, the jitters because they, they do know what it's like. We could talk about
1: all these, like, feelings, all that. you got to play a good basketball game. Hey, they played a bad basketball game against Loyola Chicago. And Porter Moser and and Loyola deserve a ton of credit for that. I think Loyola obviously was way better than Chattanooga, but Loyola and Houston have some similarities, right? I think Houston's more athletic, but um, just overall really good teams that the metrics really, really love. So they have to play a good basketball game. And, like, that's what it's going to come down to more than, uh, you know, emotions I know play into it. We're all human but they gotta execute, they gotta execute the game plan. And it's also, you know, I'm Brad Underwood who didn't have a good performance against Loyola. Let's be honest, like there weren't adjustments that were happening there. So it's gonna be on the staff to be able to, you know, respond to any kind of struggles, make the changes necessary. Uh, I do think this team has more shooting. I do think this team has some different looks they can go to now with Coleman uh, at the four. So I do think they're a little bit more versatile You just don't have an Iowa DeSumo this year, so that's why you need, I think especially a guy like Trent Frazier to take over a game at some point. Or if he can't do it, Andre Curbelo. We talk about guard play all the time. We think they have two really, really good guards. They're going to need those two guys to step up or Alfonso Plummer to to go on one of his epic kind of runs here at some point to advance.
2: Yeah, I think you probably need a heater, a classic Trent heater somewhere. You probably need Alfonso Plummer to – to bury four and a half or, you know, six in a game, however, however that all chalks up. It's just you need that in the NCAA tournament. You need those shots. You need to build some momentum against some of these teams that, you know, you think like a Chattanooga, you think Illinois has got the talent advantage. You think they're a better team. They should win that game. Just get – I'm curious what it looks like tomorrow for them to come in and, and you know, maybe they, they get it rolling early. They make an impact early. Derek, I, I've been beating the drum. I'm glad you said it. I think the different cities matter. I think that the, the mindset of – we're going to go to Pittsburgh, we're going to claw out of Pittsburgh, we're going to get on a flight, and we're going to go to San Antonio, and we're going to fight like hell in San Antonio. I I think that matters versus, to your point, well, there's a couple folks here, thank you for coming, we're going to be in the hotel for the next two days. I mean, it's just a different feeling, a a little bit, I think. I I could be wrong, but I'm really interested to see what they look like tomorrow and and how much of that will carry over should they get out tomorrow, I guess on Friday, I don't even know what day it is anymore but i am just curious to see how they look early in, in that game against Chattanooga
3: yeah and I, I to Brad's point right after selection sunday hopefully they enjoy it hopefully they just embrace this soak it all up i mean i fully agree with Jeremy they got to be ready to play good <laughs> basketball like that's this is where it ultimately matters and and, and you got to bring it and you got to be able to execute you got to have a good game plan and uh, but enjoy it and certainly embrace this moment this is what you dream about when you go to college basketball i think most people do uh in terms of just kind of showing out your best going on a run and just seeing where it goes from here and i know that a lot of line of fans just give us that shot in san antonio against arizona not that you wouldn't be okay with tcu knocking them off or whatever it might be as unlikely as that ultimately would be but i think even for you know selfishly from our standpoint of Getting a chance to, to be at shoot around tomorrow and go through press conferences and not be on Zooms and not sitting in the rafters, or, or you know, that's, that's a thing that I'm certainly looking forward to. And, and for everybody involved the fans, the players, the media, everything getting back to a more normal tournament is certainly exciting.
1: Yeah, get some uh, Iron City beers uh, while we're out there in Pittsburgh. Uh, check out everything out there. Yeah, I hope the fans enjoy this, man. I do hope uh, Illinois is able to, to play well because I think this team deserves that. I think this program uh, deserves a fun run. It's been 17 freaking years uh, since Illinois has gotten to the second weekend. It's it's amazing, and I, I, I know there's a pressure with that. I wrote about it this week, but I, I hope this team – uses that well if if that makes sense and it is a veteran bunch i think can handle that but um i I hope for their sake that they're able to to enjoy that and get that second weekend because this is what it's all about man uh the ncaa tournament is so much fun and for too long illinois has been a non-factor uh two years ago you thought they were going to be a factor could be a really tough out for a four seed if they make the sweet 16s the last four seed or a five seed that the one wants to see they never got that chance last year Loyola Chicago is about as rough of a draw as you can get in the 8-9 game. And you played poorly. You just played poorly and played like you hadn't been there before. So uh, I hope this team learns from that and and finds a way to give uh, Illinois fans and and just themselves uh, just such great memories because these are the great memories that Illinois has has lacked for so long. And, And to be honest with you, Illinois, besides their two Final Four runs, I know an Elite Eight run, a couple of them, they haven't had great. Runs, extended runs in the NCAA tournament. So uh, to see this fan base, to see this program, to see the coaches and players would, would be really, really cool. And, and selfishly, I wouldn't mind going to San Antonio.
2: <laughs> yeah. But before we get to uh, final thoughts, and Jeremy, we've butchered, when you've not been around, Derek and I have absolutely butchered the send off. I'm so glad you're here to, to figure that out for us. But I, I, the more I've thought about this game, this tournament as we've let up, it, it kind of shines a light. Like we knew. 2020 getting canceled really sucked for any number of reasons, but when you have this run, this era of Ayodele of Kofi Coburn, to have that whole chance just completely gone, like I feel like in my mind it's been amplified of how much that really just sucked. I mean, like you, you, that was supposed to be kind of the reintroduction of Illinois basketball onto the national landscape and the Big Ten or the NCAA tournament, and then you come out and you're a one seed and, and you you're out early and it just feels like you know Illinois has been really really good they've gotten a lot of attention they should they're recruiting like they're getting a lot of attention but I just feel like something just a little bit has been missing and for whatever reason I think just having that in 2020 would have helped bridge a little bit of that gap it's your moment in
1: the sun right like I, that's why I feel like if you advance the sweet 16 you have that week where every national writer is looking for an angle and they'll write a story we wrote three three months ago, and they'll do well with it. But like, you know what I mean? Like, they're going to write the stories about this team, about Kofi's... Pizza Hut. Yeah, Pizza Hut parking lots, and all that stuff goes on a national stage. And that's where you, as an Illini fan, listen to this, you get to puff out your chest. You get to be like, that's our guy. You know, Seth Davis is talking to, to Brad Underwood, and Brad Underwood's giving him crap about picking Chattanooga. Like, that's the fun stuff that you really get to go when you go on, get to the second weekend. And, and two years ago... We didn't get to hear the Andres Felice story leading up to a Sweet 16. We didn't get to see Io Dassumu as one of these stars of, of March Madness because he got upset in the second round. So I think to, to have that moment in the sun for an extended week where these national media, like, that's fun. Like, it might be frustrating for a guy like me who wrote that story in three minutes, but like, I get it. It's like that's what the fans want. They want these big people they see on TV, Raffery, talking to. Andre Corbello, who had a great game against Houston to advance, right? Like, that's that's the stuff that's uh, so much fun for fans. And Illinois has been left out in the cold for 17 years. It's
2: one week of people talking about your team who don't usually talk about your team, and it helps. Look, that helps on every level when you're building a program, continuing to build a program, recruiting. I mean, suddenly, if you're a high school kid, everywhere you look, you're seeing stuff about Illinois because they're one of 16 left, and that. That really matters. So, Derek, final thoughts as we uh, – where are we at? Are we –
1: Cedarville, Ohio.
2: Cedarville. Final thoughts, Derek, from Cedarville, <laughs> Ohio.
3: Um, Any skyline chili around here? I, I don't know. We have to stop off. we got, we got three more hours in the car. Get, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good call. Uh, yeah, again, just enjoy this, and I think that it is a huge opportunity. It is the next step for this program to see if they can – parlay all this regular season success big 10 championship both in the tournament and the regular season and try to make a long run and see what ultimately that looks like and if you get to san antonio i think the pressure comes off i think that you just kind of you tip it up against probably arizona and you see where you ultimately stand i would recommend cheering heavily for jelly jordan walker On on Friday night, assuming Illinois gets the job done, and then you got UAB and Houston. The more I watch Houston, I know that their resume—you look at how they haven't played very many quality people. That's a really, really good defensive team that I think can get Illinois problems. And if that 5'11 guard can put them out, and then you put Trent Frazier on him, I think you got a pretty good chance. Not that you can't go to the Sweet 16 if you do match up against Houston. I just think that that's my recommendation. Enjoy Illinois game cheer on Jelly Walker, and have a nice little Friday.
2: What a bold recommendation to vote for Ken Palm's number
3: four team to get knocked (laughs) out
2: before Illinois has to run into him.
3: Bold, You're talking bold. This guy sits here and says, guys, hold on. I think R.J. Melendez is going to be good. We're like, oh,
2: wow. And that paid off for some of us now, didn't it? And appendectomy slowed down my hottest of hot takes. All right, Jeremy, closing thoughts, and then get us out of here.
1: Uh, Illinois by 10 over Chattanooga, Illinois by double digits. And then I think prepare yourself for a rock fight uh, against Houston. So uh, I do think we'll, we'll be here till Sunday and, uh, you know, leave late Sunday night at some point. But uh, I do think uh, it's going to be a heck of a matchup against Houston. And, boy, a storyline against Kelvin Sampson. And just to have a really tough Houston team, I think would be a lot of fun. So we'll see what happens. But I think I think Illinois takes care of business. I think they're so motivated. Let's be honest. You got Kofi freaking Coburn, Kofi Coburn on your team. So I think we we'll take care of business against the 13th seed. That it? My up? I
2: think that's it. I think the title this has to be Kofi freaking Coburns. But all right, Jeremy, Derek, and I have not done this right anytime, time. So knock it out. <laughs> all right, as I'm driving uh, east towards uh, where are we going at this point? Pittsburgh. Campus?
1: Oh. We're picking EJ up. He's going to Pittsburgh, right? He is. At some point. Um, yeah, so thank you for listening to the One Choir podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review wherever you get your podcast. Everybody enjoy the trip to Pittsburgh if you're making it. Maybe we'll see you out at a local establishment at some point. We will take any kind of recommendations you have. Uh, but enjoy the NCAA tournament. We'll be live from Pittsburgh in just a few uh, hours here. But uh, everybody take care of each other. Have a great day. And we'll talk to you next time on the One Choir podcast.